Martinsville race that just happened. Uh, Jordan and I, uh, we neither of us were at Martinsville, but we watched it on TV, just like most of you. So we will share our impressions from all that we saw. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, we, we were just talking a little bit before this call, and, you know, we, we didn't really plan about what we were going to say or anything, but sort of like, you know, sort of a average-ish so-so Martinsville race. I don't know. It's kind of like... You, you sort of tune in for, for Martinsville and maybe given that's hap- everything that's happened in, in recent years, especially in the fall race, you're like, oh boy, this could be big, you know, this could be crazy. And then, you know, it was just, it was, it was okay. I don't know. What'd you think? It, it was fine. It was a decent short track race. It certainly wasn't the most memorable short track race, but that's also been the recurring theme for the last few, few Martinsville spring races where the fall race has been, you know, really crazy and wild and kind of a, a Royal Rumble in, in some sense. The spring race has been more sedate, and we saw that today. There were some moments there where it looked like it was going to get potentially crazy. You know, Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch were chasing Brad Keselowski there at the end, and there was some bumping and banging, and he thought, okay, this has got some potential. But for the most part, you know, Brad ran away with it and was pretty much on cruise control, and it didn't look like anyone had a car that could catch him, especially on long runs. So it, it wasn't the typical, you know, short track race that we, we come to expect or want to see necessarily. But it's still, at the end of the day, I think it was it was decent. Yeah, so here's here's what I want to start by asking. So, obviously, Kozlowski had an amazing car, like a butt-kicking, powerful car, right? I mean, he led 446 laps, I think, which was the most... They, they said that was the most in the modern era at, at Martinsville. Uh, yeah, modern era is, going that... back to 1972. So that's um, pretty impressive, obviously. So we, we acknowledge it was a butt-kicking car, first of all, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a butt-kicking. It's... Just, it's he... You don't see, like you said, you don't see that at Martinsville, that kind of dominance over the years, at yeah. least guys leading that many laps. So it, it was impressive. He deserves kudos for that. Right. Okay. So I want to acknowledge that up front, but I will <laughs> say this, and this is, this is what I'm, I'm just wondering that I want to ask you about. Uh, it seemed like for a while, uh, at, at points in the race that Chase Elliott had a faster car. In fact, when Chase Elliott, um, passed Kozlowski, uh, under green around the mid, a uh, mid portion of the race, um, he was kind of pulling away from Keselowski, which was kind of the first time that we had seen the, the leader really pull away um, at that point, or at least, you know, sort of gap somebody. Because as when Keselowski was leading, he was only leading by, you know, half a second. Typically, Elliot was right there a lot of the time. But then Elliot loses the lead in the pits. Um, I believe the, the, the race winning move came in the pits, ultimately, like, um, you know, maybe 200 laps to go or something like that. And then once Keselowski got the lead, even with some restarts, um, nobody was ever able to pass him again. So I guess what my question is, is this possibly related at all to having the bigger spoiler? Um, Remember, this is the same package as Phoenix, and obviously it's not as much of an aero track as Phoenix, but certainly it had to play some role on some level, even though it was Martinsville. So how much, if anything at all, uh, do you think that played a role or am I just completely off base and that didn't have any impact? 
I think there was probably some role in it. I'm more curious in the fact that if you look at the previous Martinsville races, and you heard Kyle Busch say it after the race, that this is kind of a one-groove racetrack has become. And it's hard to pass. It's hard to, when you get side by side with somebody, it's hard to complete a cat pass because you don't have that grip level. And so you don't see guys race side by side. It's it races in a lot of, like you said, races in a lot of sense are passes are made in the pits or coming out of the pits or on restarts. And once you get kind of shuffled out a little bit and you get single file, it's really hard to get by somebody, even if you have a faster car. So we saw that today a little bit. Um, there was moments I thought Ryan Blaney had a really good car today and he looked at times, if you look at his lap times, he was running as quick as Brad was, but he couldn't get the track position. He just couldn't get up there. So it felt like whoever was going to get in the lead, and if you had a good race car, and Brad had a really good race car, let's make sure we state that, it, you were just going to be able to maintain that. And especially late in the race, and you, you saw Brad do a really good job of taking away that preferred bottom groove. And if Chase was going to get him, he had two options. One, which was past Brad on the outside, which is not going to happen here because the way Martinsville is now. Or two, get up there close enough and shove Brad out of the way, and he just couldn't get up there and do it. So yeah, this is kind of indicative of what we've seen in recent Martinsville races where it's very tough to pass. Yeah, and um, I, you know, it's <clears> – <throat> I, I, I'm not – taken one side or the other, but it would have been nice to see some sort of uh, a late race drama where, where somebody had some sort of a contact, you know, you know, maybe a, a Keselowski or uh, sorry, a, a true ex Logano situation. Um, I, I, I was kind of, you know, on the late restart say you're thinking, oh man, what if, what if Kyle does this to Brad or what if Chase does this to Kyle or uh, Brad does it to Kyle or, you know, whatever you're thinking, oh, this could be really crazy. And then, you know, like you said, I mean, they, they ultimately can't even get up there to, to make it happen. But, you know, that's obviously it, that could be a, a number of reasons that happens. But um, again, though, I mean, this was a, a very dominant race uh, by Kozlowski. I, I see a, a stat that Dustin Long posted on Twitter where uh, this was the most laps led in a cup race since 1992 when uh, Kyle Petty led 484 laps at Rockingham, apparently. So, um yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it was it was dominant, and, and when you have a race like that, it's not going to be necessarily the the drama filled thing. But I, I still think that just like with the Aero Package this year, in some ways, a Martinsville race is often plagued by expectations. When you have high expectations of a race, um, you know, and and it doesn't live up to those, you can tend to be let down. Where if this was just a you know compared to mile most mile and half track races in NASCAR, this was a perfectly fine race. Like we said, it's just since, you know, you expect action and guys getting mad and spinning each other out or wrecking each, you know, all this kind of stuff. You're just kind of like, ah, oh, okay. It was, it was okay. My expectations for this race aren't the same expectations I have for the fall Martinsville race, simply because of the fact one, if you win at Martinsville in the fall, you're going to make the championship four. the conditions are different. And because it's uh, the, the stakes are so high, um, guys are w more willing to do stuff and they're more willing to be aggressive and kind of assert themselves and, and kind of win at any cost almost, if you would. Like we kind of saw Logano uh, rough up Truex there where you, you, you're you not afraid to use your bumper to pass somebody because you have to win that race. If You, you don't have to, but you, you have to win that race if you want to get in the championship race or so to speak. So. I don't know. My, my opinion of this race, it's good. It's fine. It's, it's as good as it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's perfectly acceptable, but it's certainly not the same as uh, the fall race. Yeah. So do you think Brad Kozlowski is, 
I mean, this is kind of weird to say because he's a, a regular contender, but is he underrated at all? I mean, as a driver, like it seems like he can win on any type of track. Like he's, you know, at least in the in the package that we just said goodbye to as far as restrictor plate racing, he was perhaps the best in that of, of his uh, current generation. Um, he's obviously great on intermediates. He's a great short track racer. He's never um, won on a road course, though. Well, he almost did. Uh, he has almost yes a couple times at Watkins Glen. Yeah. So, but you know, he's he's a great all around racer. Um, but yet, I you never really feel like he gets mentioned as like like if you're going to say who's the best driver in NASCAR, uh, you know, a lot of people are probably going to say Kyle Busch or maybe even Kyle Larson or you know, as far as like the most talented guy. But Keselowski. I mean, he can kind of get it done anywhere, and he can, seems to always, you know, he obviously has great cars this year. Penske's off to a great start, but he he seems to raise the level of his, his cars a lot. Am I wrong? No, I think he's very good. I think if you look at it, like you said, he's capable. See, see, of there you go, though. You said you said very good. You said, I think he's I, very good. You didn't say, like, oh, man, he is, like, the guy. So why 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 do we think that? I mean, he just went out and kicked everybody's butt. Why Why does he get, like, the very good label? To me, it's consistency from year to year to year. If I look at guys like Kyle Busch, uh, Kevin Harvick, they win a bunch of races year after year after year. If you look at Brad Keselowski's career, he won the title in 2012. He had a great year, wins the cup championship. 2013, he comes back. He only wins one race, and that was in October at Charlotte, and he misses the playoffs. That's that's not good. Comes back in 2014, has a great season. In 2015, he only wins one race. He led a bunch of laps in 2015, and a lot of circumstances worked against him where you say, you know what, he should have won a handful of races, but for whatever reason, he didn't. But the fact of the matter is he only won one race in 2015. Um, he's also only made the final four at Homestead once. That matters to me. You know, Great drivers and great teams, you have to continually rise up in this format, and you look at the teams, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Guess what? They have made the Final Four multiple, multiple times, and they continually put themselves in position to win a championship. That's not to say that Brad isn't in that caliber, but the fact is he hasn't done it to the same level that those other guys have, and that to me matters. And that is why I don't put him in that upper, upper tier of drivers. That said, he's still a top five, top six driver easily, and if we were going to do a NASCAR draft of drivers, he would be certainly a very high pick. Yeah, I don't know. I I would almost I think he's probably better than that. I think he's maybe a top three driver in NASCAR. I mean, honestly, um, you know, I would I would say like Kyle Busch, Logano, Kozlowski. I know, you know, Harvick deserves to be up there a lot, but we, Harvick has had really, really, really fast cars the last few years consistently too. As has Truex, and um, you know, Harvick's a great driver, but um, I don't know. I mean, you you give me a guy where where I feel like he's gonna elevate the car and take get every single thing he can out of it and i mean i, I think i'm putting brad kozlowski top three possibly so um i don't know I, I just feel like he he gets a little bit overlooked at times compared to others uh, but you you have you have good reasons for it but you know it's just it's just kind of interesting but anyway um let's talk about uh chase elliott i mean he, he had a pretty solid day and you know compared to uh the rest of his teammates um <laughs> Jimmy Johnson, namely, I mean, the, the Martinsville, former Martinsville master, Jimmy Johnson, man, I mean, Chase Elliott really carried the load. Uh, Jimmy Johnson ends up finishing 24th, William Byron 22nd after starting from the rear, Alex Bowman 14th. Meanwhile, Chase Elliott could have won this race. I mean, Chase Elliott, here's a guy who, uh, he's, he really is, you know, delivering for Hendrick. 
He is, and if you even go back to last year, it's much the same way. You know, Hendricks' only three wins last year came because of Chase Elliott, and while Chase has been kind of up and down so far to start the year, it's pretty clear that he is still the cream of the crop when it comes to the Hendrick drivers, and that team has found something that the other three Hendrick cars simply don't have right now, and whether it's the chemistry between Alan Gustafson and, and Chase Elliott, whether it's the in-race adjustments, whether it's Chase Elliott himself, maybe it's a combination of everything, the number nine team is certainly being able to get it done on a more consistent basis than the other three cars. They have shown flashes, but when you look at today, for example, and Chase was so far ahead of his teammates in terms of performance, in terms of speed, in terms of execution, it wasn't even close. It, you may, it makes you step back and go, what is going on with this organization? Why have they not been able to figure this out? You know, last year it was well, we've got a new Chevy car, and we've got to figure this out, and we're sorting the ins and outs and everything. Well, guess what? We've, they've had this car for a year now, and it's still the same issue. And you look at the other Chevy teams, mainly Kurt Busch, for example, and, and how consistent he has been this year and how well he, how well he has performed. I, I just don't know if I buy the fact that it's the, the, the new Chevy Camaro that came in last year. There's other things going on with this organization, and they still haven't been able to get it sorted out. And the crew chief changes and everything else they went through this offseason, this is still an organization that has a ways to go to be even close to being back to the level we expect them to perform at. Yeah, it's just weird, though, because like I, maybe I'm just totally naive, but I still feel like Jimmy Johnson can is completely capable of doing what he's always done. And I know that the farther he gets from winning, you know, that the crazier that sounds. But... You know, I, I and I know he's he's kind of at the age where his career would be on a, on the downswing. But I mean, he's obviously in shape. He's training to do a marathon, um, so it's not like he's huffing and puffing and can't do it in the car. I assume his hand eye coordination is still fine. It's not like he's going out there and wrecking or plowing into people or something. But obviously, you know, it's just like the feel is not there for him for whatever reason. I'm sure he's lost maybe some some confidence. But you would just think at Martinsville of all places, being somewhat of an equalizer, he'd be able to to get up there and at least run close to what his teammates doing his younger teammate. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't really understand, but you know, at, at the same time, there's only, there was only one Chevy in the top 10 today. So, you know, as, as you know, you mentioned Kurt Busch, but he was 12th. Um, Kyle Larson was 18th. So it, it just wasn't really a great day for Chevrolet, but you still wouldn't think that that would matter that much at Martinsville, but just kind of odd. Um, meanwhile, it, it, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it, it is odd, and I, you know, but you would, you know, you would think that Martinsville's a track where Johnson, who's been so good there so many, so many times over the years. But if you look at it though, the numbers since he last won there in 2016 in the fall haven't been that great. His best finish is 12. So this has been a track where he's just been off the last few years. This isn't a typical Jimmy Johnson. When Jim, Johnson comes into Martinsville, you expect him to be great. That's just not the case the last few years, and it, it has been a struggle for him. And again, it comes back to whether that's the car, the driver, or whatnot. I think it's a combination of things. This just isn't his best track in the recent years. So weird. So weird how stuff like that changes. Um, so Kyle Busch finished third, and uh, I saw somebody tweet that that's like his worst finish of the season. Can that be true? Like third? Is that really possible? Yeah, I think that's correct. I mean, what, Daytona, he finished second, and he's got two wins, and he finished at Vegas, he finished third didn't he when he had the pit throw penalty or did he come back and finish second i can't i can't remember i have a terrible memory but that sounds that sounds probably right but if you give me one second i will have it for you (laughs) 
Oh, Aaron Aaron Bearden's the one who tweeted it. Kyle Busch finished third, and it tied his okay tied his second worst result in any NASCAR National Series race so far this year. That's that is crazy. That he finished sixth uh, at Atlanta this year. Gotcha. So that he tied his second worst finish. Okay. Yep. Still pretty good. He hasn't finished outside the top ten in any. And you know, for a while there, when he was when he was coming today, I was like, oh boy. Is this going to turn out just to all this Kozlowski and Elliott stuff just going to turn out to be another Kyle Busch win? I could almost see it coming. Uh, ultimately, it didn't happen. I guess he he didn't quite have the car he needed today. But, um, I mean, and I, I hesitate to say this because it's so early, but is Kyle Busch, would you consider him the, the championship favorite right now based on the way he's been running so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to put him in that four, you know, that four driver category that the guys were going to make it to Homestead. He is certainly deserving of that spot. He's got two wins this year. You know, anything can happen, but you look at the consistency this team has. They're not making mistakes. Kyle's been pretty flawless, except for that penalty at Las Vegas, which cost him a win. Um, this team is so good, and they continue to do it year after year. And you mentioned it earlier about Brad and how he's capable of winning anywhere. That's what you can say about Kyle. And you look at the number of laps Letty's, you know, 177 at Phoenix, 134 at Fontana. Didn't lead a lap today, but again, they, they got better too. This was an atypical performance from Kyle Busch. You know, in the first part of this race, he was down running 12th, 13th, and it was like, what's going on here? They made that car better, and it seemed like he had an opportunity there to maybe to, to get that win. If they would have been on a restart, we got another restart there late. It would have been interesting to see if he could have done anything, but I, I think Kyle's clearly in that mix of, of guys that are very capable of winning this championship, and if you had to pick one, I, I don't think you can go wrong by picking Kyle. Let's talk about people who um, didn't have such a good day um, you know, that we thought would of, of these contender guys that we've been talking about early in the season, uh, and specifically I'm thinking of Joey Logano. He started from the pole, seemed to have a really fast car in practice, Everything seemed to be going right. And, you know, just from the start, he got shoved out of the way, uh, lost the lead within, you know, the first few laps and was a complete non-factor. He was struggling for a while to stay in the top 10. Then they they pitted late and tried to make some sort of a weird adjustment or something or fix something. I don't know. Anyway, he ended up finishing 19th. Um, What the hell happened there, Jordan? Yeah, he, he said all day he had a loose race car and he just couldn't figure out the handle of it. And what makes it so stunning is the fact that Juan Logano is really, really good here. He won here in the fall. This is typically a, a racetrack where he excels. But you look at his teammates. Brad Keselowski wins the race, dominates. And Brian Blaney was good all day, too. Ran in the top five all day. So why you know, why wasn't Logano able to able to replicate that is confusing. You, you sometimes have those races where you're just out to lunch, and for whatever reason, you're not running well. It seems like this week was uh, look, the case for Joey Logano. He just they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Um, another one, uh, who I thought was going to have a little bit better of a day, uh, based on his car early on was Eric Almarola. And it seemed like, you know, once again, like Eric Almarola seems to have good starts to races. And at the beginning you can go, Oh, wow. You know, maybe this is Almarola's day. He seems to really have something. And then he always fades. Doesn't he? I mean, it may, is that not a trend at this point? I mean, it's a trend where it seems like at the beginning of the races, you're like, well, this guy's a contender and this is potentially a winning car. But I also look at it and say that, you know what? At the end of the day, Omarola finished ninth. He walks away with a top 10 finish. And I believe that's five straight top 10 finishes for him. This isn't a driver or team that's super flashy. They don't always lead a bunch of laps. 
they're not always among the guys running up front. And, you know, you don't think every week that, you know, one of these, they can win, but they keep knocking out these solid finishes. And I, and I think that re- reflects well on them. I mean, yeah, they, you, you would like to see them maybe contend for a win. We've seen, you know, they're not the same level of their teammate, Kevin Harvick, but at the end of the day, they're still having this consistency. And I think that is a big thing. And if you look at why Almirola finished fifth last year, it's because they just keep knocking out these solid finishes. They're not amazing every week, but consistency matters. And, and they certainly have that down. Yep. Well, what else jumped out to you, if anything, from this Martinsville race today? Obviously, we're just kind of going driver by driver because, you know, as far as on the track uh, action or incidents, um, there wasn't a tremendous amount to talk about. I mean, the I guess one of the biggest incidents was William Byron almost spinning out. He got a caution for that. Um, and then Eric Jones had a flat tire. But, I mean, there it's not like there was, like, a lot of multi-car wrecks, which has been a theme for this year. Uh, anything else, you know, sort of jump out to you that, that you'll remember or, you know, even by next week about this uh, Martinsville race? I don't think there's anything particularly memorable. I mean, Keselowski winning in dominant fashion is not something we typically see at Martinsville. But I look at the, the top 10 and there's four Stuart Haas racing cars in the top 10. That That's a great uh, organ. It's a great performance by an organization that just seems to kind of be hitting on it all. They're, they're not to the level of of what their Ford counterpart at Team Petsky is doing, but they're executing every week. And, and that organization is really kind of putting themselves in a good spot where comes some good racetracks for them coming up. You know, Texas, Kansas, Charlotte. I expect them to be in the mix for wins. Also look at, too, Denny Hamlin overcame a pit road penalty, knocks out another top five finish, finishes fifth. And Clint Boyer had not one but two pit road speeding penalties today. He still rallied to finish seventh, and he had an eventful day. Yeah. Well, uh, we've weighed in on what we thought of the race, so now it's time to guess what we think the fans will think when they vote in the Was It a Good Race poll. So uh, I'm really not sure where to go with this one, Jordan. Um, I, I could see it kind of ending up on a variety of, of areas, but I think overall, since it was a short track, it will end up, you know, fairly positive on the 50, 50% side of things. Won't be in the thirties or forties. Uh, you know, you know, Keselowski did dominate the race, but at the same time, the, you know, he, he didn't run away with it necessarily. So there was at least some, some drama in that. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You're better at this, so I want to follow your lead. Oh boy. Um, honestly, I could see it. I could see maybe about. Uh, I don't know. This is tough. Maybe sixty-two percent. I mean, I kind of want to go higher, but I just don't feel like there's going to be this big groundswell of people saying, "Yeah, that was a great race," even though it was Martinsville. I th- I think people won't really want to vote no because it's they like short tracks and they want short tracks to be the best racing and stuff, but. I don't know. It just wasn't like that thrilling of a race or anything. So, um, yeah, I think I, I might go, I might go 62, but I, I wish I, I, w- I wish I had looked back at the previous year's results and things like that before saying this, but that, that'll be my guess. What, what's, what's yours? Yeah. I like you. I wish I would have gone back and looked at the results and what people have thought of previous Martinsville races. I think the fact that this is a short track, people love short tracks. People think very highly of them that we had a winner that wasn't Kyle Busch because I think a lot of fans have seen Kyle win a lot of races the last few weeks and they're kind of tired of that maybe a little bit. I think people are still going to think highly of this. It wasn't the most exciting race, but I think at the end of the day, I think fans will vote about 70% in favor of it. I think that's you, you could be onto something there because I just as you were talking, I looked back and that Boyer race last year that was fairly similar to this one, um, you know, not the most 
thrilling race, I guess, uh, just sort of a standard type race that got 72%. So that kind of boosts the notion that it could be, what'd you say? 70 exactly? 70. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think the lowest Martinsville race was a Jimmy Johnson victory. The fall Martinsville race in 2016, that got 58%. And, uh, I would think that would be higher. That was really good. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> that was the one where the, uh, the the Gibbs drivers were all upset because they had, they thought they were faster than Jimmy, but they weren't working well together. And Denny Hamlin was holding up Kyle Busch and Matt Kenseth. And they were upset with that Denny wouldn't let him buy and to go chase Jimmy at the end. And then that prevented Joe Gibbs Racing, which thought it had a realistic chance of putting all four drivers in the final four, uh, getting one of those, you know, getting all four in and, and it allowed Jimmy into the championship finale, which he ultimately won. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad somebody has a good memory here on this podcast because clearly I don't. I, I do not. Uh, I can't retain that kind of stuff. Uh, for the record, the, the highest ever Martinsville race was 93%. And then there's two Martinsville races that tied for 90%. So um, anyway, Jordan, any, any other final thoughts? Uh, I saw that uh, you wrote something for NASCAR.com recently where you talked to all of, I think, all of Kyle Busch's crew chiefs ever to talk to about... Uh, what what he what he's been like to work with? I have not talked to all of them, but I talked to most of them, and especially some of the big names. I talked to Alan Gustafson, who was Kyle's first crew chief when he came into the Cup Series for the first three years. I talked to Steve Addington, who worked with Kyle when he first moved over to Joe Gibbs Racing, and Kyle had that breakout 2008 year where he won eight races and dominated the regular season. I also talked to Adam Stevens, who you know guided Kyle to his, his lone Cup Series championship thus far, and I also talked to a couple crew chiefs he's worked with in the Xfinity and Truck Series. And to see, you know, how Kyle's matured. We we all we've all talked about it before. We we we've witnessed it, and also how Kyle has changed as a driver a little bit. Not necessarily just from the maturity side, but he's gotten smarter. He's gotten more patient. He's gotten better. Uh, you know, when to pick and choose his spots a little bit. And that was really interesting to hear their thoughts and and their viewpoints of Kyle and their perceptions. And it's it was kind of all over the board. And it was it was interesting to see. And it reflects on a driver who's who's changed dramatically since he came into the cup series and Kyle came in, he was 20 years old. He was highly hyped. And there were some years there where it was a struggle, not necessarily on the racetrack. He was winning races and everything, but you know, Kyle was a driver who was expected to have a lot of success and be a championship contender. And it took a while for him to get there. And it was interesting to hear what his crew chief said about him and where he is at now. So yeah, it was an interesting piece to work on and I'm happy how it came out. So I'm sure you can find that on your Twitter. That is Jordan underscore Bianchi, and you can follow Jordan there. Jordan, thanks again for joining us. And uh, for everybody else, thanks so much for listening. And I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.